Good evening. It is another great opportunity we have been blessed with to be able to come together as thy people. We have visitors with us tonight, and we want you to know you're our guest. And if you have any questions about our congregation here, the services of, of the church here, we will be more than glad to talk with you and to let us know how we can help you in that, in that way. Lessons from the Crucifixion, Part 10. As we all know this present year, on the last Sunday night of every month, we have cast a spotlight and cast our attention uh, to that very topic, the crucifixion of our Lord. And tonight, for the most part, will be the last installment of that lesson. We're going to look at the last two statements that Jesus made while he was on the cross. And the very last statement he made, we'll have a sequel to that lesson, Lord willing, next month. But for tonight, and before we begin tonight, I do need to make a slight correction from the lesson last month. Very, very briefly in that series, of, in that uh, lesson, we looked at an example of Koine Greek and how that skeptics have looked at that in a wrong way. And I dated that at 31 B.C. And my dating was correct on that. That occurred shortly after Alexander the Great's death in 323 B.C., not 31 B.C. So I did want to make that slight correction before we begin our lesson tonight. So for tonight, we will look at the last two statements that our Savior made on the cross. It is finished, and Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And as we go through the course of the lesson tonight, we're going to ask ourselves, what was finished? How does that affect us today? Many throughout the denominational world have taught some things wrongly about this. Some claim it's his physical life that was finished. And although it was, that is not the entirety of the teaching on that. We're going to look at the foreknowledge of God and how that is a proof for Bible inspiration. As seen in, in, as seen in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is truly given by God. And tonight as we look at what and ask ourselves what was finished, may I say if anybody is not a faithful member of the body of Christ tonight, I urge you that you will consider these things with care, with seriousness, and make the appropriate things and changes in ne that need be in your life. That's our prayer for anybody that would need that response. So for this first, on this first slide, let's look at this statement. It is finished. As was read for us a moment ago from the lesson text, John 19, verse 30. If you would be turning there with me, John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Again, it's the ninth hour on the cross. Jesus had been scourged, as we all know. He had faced humiliation unlike any other. The trial that he had to endure, endure with its falsehood, with its injustice, the physical torture of the pain of the nails in his hands and feet as they pierced through the nerves in his body, the crown of thorns that had been beaten down in his head, the dehydration that would have had to have been taking place and 
reckoning through his body, leads us to this. He is nearly to the point of death by this moment. And as we looked at our lesson last month, we looked at Jesus' statement of I thirst. As he partook of that vinegar, as it's described in verse 30 here, allowing his mouth to have the proper moisture, if it would be, to make this, these final statements. It is finished. As we come to the next slide of prophecy. Throughout this series of lessons, we have looked at uh, many prophecies throughout the course of the lesson. But tonight, we're going to look at it some more, uh, particularly one in detail. And if you would, the first one we were going to look at, if you would be turning with me to Genesis chapter 3. Going back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. Of course, Adam and Eve had been addressed by God. Sin had entered the human family. Again, by them, by the subtle serpent as he lured Eve into taking that forbidden fruit and as well as Adam. But we see from God the Father in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, a pronouncement of a tiny ray of hope for salvation to save humanity from sin. God speaking says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Throughout all of the history of the world, this is the first light, shed of light to salvation, again, through Christ Jesus. This, has been, this uh, particular verse has been termed by scholars and those in, in that studies biblical uh, history as the proto-evangelum, that tiny ray of hope for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we then begin to see from Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11, we see approximately 2,000 years of human history and of the history of the world. We have the worldwide flood that occurred in the days of Noah and the destruction of the world and the destruction of mankind on that event. And beginning in Genesis chapter 12, we then pick up with Abraham and the promise that God delivered him. And from Abraham through Revelation, we have the completion of the Bible, the completion of the Old New Testament Scripture canons. But the singular point of the Old Testament and revealed also in the new is God's plan on showing who the Messiah is. It is to show Jesus who Jesus was, the plan that he sent, that God allowed him to come to be able to build a church, to have a worshiping body, and so that individuals could ultimately have a home in heaven for, with God forever. From Abraham 
to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, and also to David, and continuing on, we see that bloodline recorded. Also spoken again in Genesis chapter 12, and these bloodlines and these genealogies revealed in Matthew chapter 1, and also in Luke chapter 3. The prophecy for Jesus was specific, it was direct, minute, and it came to pass throughout the entirety of the New Testament, just as God has revealed. But it was specific. He had to be of the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the son of Jacob, the son of Judah, the son of David, and the list continues. But we see an overwhelming amount of prophecy given to us in Isaiah chapter 7, 9, 50, 52, 53, and many other Old Testament books and chapters and verses could be listed. I just chose those. But if you would, we'll notice tonight for our lesson, Isaiah chapter 53. If you would be turning there with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Speaking of prophecy and of Jesus, we are given this description in the 12 verses of this chapter, Isaiah chapter 53. Let's read those 12 verses together with me, please. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've, we have, we've have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare this genera his generation? For he was, cut off, he was cut off out of the land of the living. For, tr for the transgression of my people was, was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the, of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by the knowledge. Shall my righteousness servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I... I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the, the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That is 
chapter 53 of Isaiah in its entirety and how powerful it is for you and I today to rehearse that. As I was far as I was able to tell, Isaiah was written approximately 700 years before the coming of Christ. And in every way and in every single detail, we see here that these prophecies coming to pass just as they did. Also in Isaiah chapter 50, chapter 52, and chapter 53. Quite frankly, surrounding the scene of the crucifixion and what would take place with that monumental event. But as we go back and look through chapter 53 of Isaiah, we notice these marvelous truths about Jesus' appearance. Verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus was no person of, of wealth, of, of good appearance in the minds of many. He was an, a common, everyday individual. Also, he was no angelic being. There's been many false teachings surrounded the who Jesus was in that matter, that he was an angelic spirit or some kind of angelic ghost sent from God. But we all know from a teaching like this and from other passages of the Old and New Testament that Jesus was 100% human and 100% divine, sent from God the second member of the, God, of the Godhead in human form. Verse 3, we notice that he was despised and rejected of men. Again, those Jewish leaders, as they, with their, they, what they thought their cleverness and their deceitfulness, with the assistance of the Roman Empire and with the comments that they had surrounding Jesus, despised him, questioned his Messiahship constantly, and in the description of verses 4 through 8, we see a monumental event for, again, the purpose of the crucifixion. We studied that when Jesus cried to God the Father, saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, speaking of sin, uh, the sin of the whole world heaped upon his, on his shoulders at that moment, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 reads, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. No generation is left out. Nobody in the first century was left out. Generations to come were not left out. Jesus took the sin of every single individual living in any continent living in any day and age or country on the moments on the cross you may remember darkness had fallen over the land and again when Jesus made that statement of abandonment God the Father it, it would seem had to turn away from him but for a moment because of all the sin that he was having to carry friends if that shouldn't make you and I strive to serve him 100% of our lives totally, then there is no other teaching that would, would allow us to do that. That's how much God loved us, sending the perfect one to die for our sins. We also are given in this uh, 
prophecy, a description of Jesus' burial in verse 9 on how that would be carried out. And again, that was carried out minutely and in every single detail revealed through the gospel accounts. But in verse 10 of this chapter, we see a statement from the God the Father himself and also a statement from Jesus Speaking of Jesus in the New Testament, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That may be hard for us to wrap our minds around God the Father being pleased at seeing his son go through with this, but it did. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And if we turn to Hebrews chapter 12, we are given another description of this. This teaching here from Hebrews chapter 12 centers around Christ in particular. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the sole purpose of our Christian life, it would seem to me, centers around this truth. The Hebrew writer speaking, Wherefore, in verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. The joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, as we have looked throughout the series of this lesson, every detail of the crucifixion in our minds would be anything but joyous. And yet, the inspired writer here would say that Jesus had joy in what he underwent. He had joy in knowing that, he, that salvation would, could be offered to anyone living in any age, any race, living in any country, and that he would build a church, and that church would stand. And one day, that church will be turned over to God the Father. That's where his joy was, the joy of offering salvation to the human family. Again, taking all the way back to Adam and Eve, and the sin, when sin entered the world, this is the key moment in history for anybody that wants to be a Christian, can come in contact with salvation. But as we turn the slide, one may ask about the blood, the blood of the Lamb in particular. And with all these things in mind thus far, blood takes away sin. It is the clean, cleansing agent that takes away sin. It was, for that, it was for that way in the Old Testament. You may remember that God had given specific details of the animal sacrifices that were to take place. The minute detail that went into that. But a very interesting statement is found in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4. The inspired writer there saying, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. 
So for our day and age in our country in the Christian era, what does take away sin? It has to be some sort of blood. And we all know that in God's creation there is only two classes that have blood. It's humans and animals. But if animals won't take away sin, what about human blood? Well, that won't work either because humans all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All humans are sinners. But it took the blood of the Lamb, who is the Lamb of God. That's none other than Jesus himself. It took his sinless blood to cover our sinful lives, to be offered from salvation. And in that Hebrews chapter 10, 4 passage, we see that it was a foreshadow of what, to, of what was to come. Years and years down the road, the Lamb of God would come. He would be born of a virgin, just as the Old Testament prophecies had predicted. And he would go to, Gol to Golgotha and pay the sacrifice and shed his blood. That takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29, as John the baptizer would make that statement. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, we read this powerful statement. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And that shed blood of the crucifixion approximately 2,000 years ago outside the walls of Jerusalem took care of our salvation. So with these things in mind, one may ask, how is the blood contacted to remit sin, to forgive sin, to wash away sin? And as we consider the it is finished on this slide, brings us to the it of Jesus' statement, the reality of salvation. But before we answer the ultimate question of where the blood, how blood is contacted, we'll start with how it is delivered in the New Testament, of course. And I understand what I'm about to say is, quite frankly, taught wrongfully in the reality and denominational world. This group believes you, have, you can only believe to be saved. This group says you can confess to be saved. That group says you can live a good moral life and be saved. But friends, that's not in the New Testament anywhere. And to make that point very clear, we have to consider Bible supplementation. And I believe we're all familiar with what Bible supplementation is and what it deals with. Bible supplementation is uh, ties into the plan of salvation and how it's revealed. But in another example, we also see in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, Mark 16, 1, we see here, after Jesus' death, the women come into the to his, to his tomb on the first day of the week. 
Matthew's version delivers that it was Mary and the other Mary, but Mark's version delivers a woman by the name of Salome. So one may ask, and the skeptic does this all the time, is this a contradiction? Well, of course not. We all can make that conclusion very well, can't we? The passages supplement one another. Matthew gives the detail of the two women that were there, and Mark mentions another one. They were all there in the same event. It was just they supplement one another. This can be said with Jesus' crucifixion within itself. Not one gospel account records everything that Jesus said on the cross. But if we supplement everything together, we come to the whole conclusion. And this is same, the same is said for the plan of salvation. And in the examples seen throughout the passages of the New Testament, of those that were obeying the gospel, each person was at a different stage in completing the steps of the plan of salvation. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, we, see, we, we read this truth, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In Mark 16, 15, we read that Jesus speaking, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. In Luke chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus speaking, I tell you nay, but except you repent, y'all shall likewise perish. We see in Romans 10, 9, confession that is made unto salvation. And lastly, we have baptism. But before we answer our ultimate question of how is blood contacted, let's go back and look at the other steps. One has to hear the Word of God, and one has to understand what they're reading in order to comprehend, to obey the gospel, and to know what the church is about, to know what Jesus did for them, to know who God is. One has to believe that with all their heart, that Jesus is who He was, that God is who He was, that the Holy Spirit is who He is, and that every page of the New Testament is pure and it is from God. One has to repent of the sin in their life. That also is another teaching in the denominational realm that is taught wrongfully. Biblical repentance is a change of mind that manifests itself in a change of action, in a change of behavior, turning away from those sinful activities, be it adultery, be it fornication, be it lying, be it foul language, be it any sin that the New Testament has condemned sin. And one has to confess with the mouth audibly that Jesus is the Christ, of son of, the Son of God, and making their affirmation in their belief. But we may notice a marvelous truth here with these first four steps in the plan of salvation is that none of them by themselves deal with the blood of Christ for the remission of sins. That's where baptism comes in. Baptism, as it is listed numerous times throughout the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter will be preaching the first gospel sermon on that occasion. And, it, and in completing that salvation, and to those he was preaching to, they had to, be, they had to repent, 
they already believed and they already had confessed they had to believe they had to repent and be baptized in water for the remission of sins and we'll not look at all these verses speaking on baptism for time's sake tonight but if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 6 Romans chapter 6 in speaking of the blood of Christ and his death Romans chapter 6 as that was given to the church at Rome the inspired writer here beginning in verse 3 and I'll read verses 3 through 10 and really the whole chapter deals with the matter of sin but we'll read verses 3 through 10 for our discussion here know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death let's stop right there baptism remits one's sins of being baptized into Jesus death one may ask what happened at his death he shed his blood verse 4 therefore we are buried in him we are buried with him by baptism unto death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We see a conversion here. We see an a individual that, whose life was stained with sin being baptized unto death and coming out of the watery grave of baptism to walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that he shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died... He died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So in that teaching we see that the old man of sin was buried in baptism and rise to walk in newness of life, of newness of life again in verse 4. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 21, we are given another description of baptism. as Peter makes these inspired statements. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism saves. Peter had used the example of the Noah's flood to make this statement uh, come into light here but the ultimate point here is baptism saved now it's not a washing it's not a putting away the filth of the flesh but it's an answer of a good conscience towards God again tied to Romans chapter 6 and the description there of 3 verses 3 through 10 and Jesus would say himself the night before he died that this is my blood which is shed for many for the remission of sins and if we tie that to what 
uh, Peter preached on uh, in Acts chapter 2, we see the very statement, be baptized, repent and be baptized every one, of you, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. But also, not only does baptism wash one's sins away and coming in contact with the blood, it also adds one to the body of Christ. The blessed church of Christ of our Lord, the church we read about in the New Testament. When we read throughout that early church in the first century and those epistles that were given, we read that in 1 Corinthians or that Jesus added one added those to the church in Acts chapter 2 verse 40. But also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 13 we read for by one spirit you are all baptized into one body. What's the body one may ask? The body is the church. It's the church that Jesus shed his blood for. Acts chapter Acts chapter 20 verse 28. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, we read, And hath put all things under his feet, speaking of Christ, he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fulfilleth, that filleth all in all. We see here that the body, the church, and then as the New Testament will use the kingdom, are all used in the same context, meaning that wonderful church of the New Testament, that wonderful church that you and I are a part of. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, verse 13, gives us the description of how one enters that church. It's by baptism. And I suppose that many denomination, denominational Teachings, denominational preachers claim that baptism does save. Some think it's just a ritual or some kind of religious example that really has no benefit to it. They do it just because Jesus done it. But as we've learned tonight, that can't simply be the case. Those that are in the... some sects of the Baptist denomination believe this, the community church movement believes this, that they may believe in baptism, and one may even believe that baptism saves, but if one is being claiming to be baptized into a religious doctrine of men, then that baptism is not scriptural, my friends. It can't be. It can't be tied to the one body and it can't be tied to the church of our Lord if one is going to be biblical about baptism. Baptism ties Christ's blood to the church. And as we look at the very last statement that Jesus made while he was on the cross, after he said it's finished, the plan was finished. He will say, Father, into thy hands 
I commend my spirit. And he bowed his head, and he, of course, he gave up the ghost as it was recorded. Jesus put his trust in God the Father to take care of his spirit. Of course, going to that paradise, rim of paradise for three days and three nights. But that has a very significant teaching meaning and tool for us today is that we today, as Christians in the 21st century, can have security in our salvation. Do you have that security tonight? Don't leave this building unsure. Don't leave this building tonight with doubt. Don't leave this building tonight wasting another day in sin, you may know that yourself that you have fallen away from the church. You've not been faithful. If you've never obeyed the gospel, we have learned the plan that is finished for you tonight. You must hear, you must believe, you must repent, you must confess, and you must be scripturally baptized in water for the remission of sins, and Jesus will add you to the church. But if you are a Christian tonight, maybe you have done that, maybe you have lived faithfully, but you have allowed a great amount of distance to come between you and God. It's not God's fault. Friend, it's your fault. God has done everything within his eternal character for you to have a relationship with him. If you have fallen away and you do need to come, Make a response tonight. We will pray for you. We will pray for you just as Paul did for Simon in Acts chapter 8. He had become a Christian, but he fallen away in, in, in sin. And he urged the prayers, and God promised to forgive him. If you do need to respond tonight, we ask that you do that because the plan is finished. Obey the gospel tonight or rededicate your life. While together we stand and sing.